I'll be real with you. I couldn't see your faces, but you must have looked punished out there. If you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to preach the other 73% of this morning's sermon. While you're turning there, um, we've been in Texas, my family and I, for 11 months. And nothing, no, no big deals have happened here since we moved. <laughs> a hurricane, a World Series, the Rockets have a chance to win the NBA title. Uh, it was October, and, and one of our members was, was riding across the state with me, and, and he said something that I, has stuck with me every time I've traveled in Texas. He said, my father-in-law tells me that when you look at the landscape of Texas, you can see landscape like every other landscape in the world. I don't know if that's true or not, because I was looking for the Alps, and I didn't see them. <laughs> But I, I was driving last night, and I was on, I was not on the interstate, I was on a farm to market road, and I just keep thinking, this is really pretty, like the sun setting, it, it's a, and even the weeks when it's not cloudy and muggy, it's even prettier. There's wide open spaces. What does this remind me of as I'm driving across the state? by myself does this remind me of Friday Night Lights when I watched every episode of that that's a gift from God to us as a people <laughs> but it wasn't Friday Night Lights is it some sitcom well no and then it hit me as I was driving by myself in this wide open back road this reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> There are no homes anywhere around me. No animals anywhere. And I'll just be truthful with you. My heart is a bit faster. I'm Googling things as I drive, which is illegal, so don't tell anybody. Thankfully, that happened in West Texas, and crazy stuff doesn't happen in East Texas. The idea of being alone by yourself isolated. The letters of Paul to us are written not to individuals. Now I know most of us read them in that way. But they are written to groups of people who are to be united together so that as they face the difficulties of living and as they, as some of you like to say, do life, they realize they are connected to other people. So we're in Colossians 2, verses, verses 4 through 15. If you're a note taker, uh, there are notes in your worship guide. Uh, there's a phrase that everything hangs from. and You can see that. I'll read that. It says that Christians should be knit together in love. 
and maturing because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that unites every believer everywhere. So that answers the question. Let me read verses, verse 4. I say this. Well, the synopsis of this is that phrase that's there. Christians should be knit together in love and maturing because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that unites every believer everywhere. We are a people who are bound to one another. So what do we learn from this? There's three things that we see in this passage. Many more than three, but three dominant ideas that serve, uh, that hang from this. We are to hold fast because we are held firm and we are his forever. That's the message of Jesus in a world where we are here but we are not yet here. We have arrived if you have a relationship with Jesus. But you know as you deal with what you deal with every day. People seem to still be problematic. Things that aggravate and agitate do not cease to do that when you give your life to Jesus. We are to hold fast because we are held firm and we are his forever. We are to hold fast. Verses 4 through 8. Let's read together from the Bible. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, as you receive the Lord Jesus... Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in love. And see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Jesus. Now there is a place for us to read that and to see how it impacts us personally. This passage, if you were to open up your Bible for devotional reading and to simply see what it says, that speaks to you, but it does not speak to you in isolation. And the reason for that is the Bible unpacks itself and unfolds for us what God would have us to hear as his people. And when we open in the book of Colossians, he does not write a letter to a person in particular. He writes a letter to a church. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Uh, Let me infer. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters at Colossae. I'm writing to a church. You're bound together in love. So this idea of who God is that has knit us together. It begins to not just be something that we know. I'm supposed to be knit together. I'm supposed to be united with one another. I'm supposed to be sowing myself to other believers. The kind of information that Paul gives produces something. It produces love. Mutual love. And love, Paul gives us multiple definitions throughout the scriptures. He, He says that love is not puffed up. Love is not arrogant. Love does not look out for its own, but it looks out for other people. It's self-giving. Love builds true relationships regardless of race, age, 
social status, or anything that divides us. So we are united to one another and believers from throughout the time-space continuum and throughout the globe right now because of who Jesus is. And this is not in, does not in any way respect the idea of, of a racial identity that would be elite. So we're singing that song a moment ago when you got in trouble with Jared. <laughs> And we started to sing about seeing the face of Jesus. And so I'm thinking about that as I'm, because I'm doing what Jared's telling me to do. And the first face that comes to my mind looks less like Jesus than it does Bradley Cooper. We better hope that we're united with every race. If that is not the case, then we're in trouble. Because lots of our faces look alike. Bound together to other believers, holding fast. And Paul says this idea of unpuffed love, love that is not arrogant, love that does not boast, love that unites us. These are not just things that Paul says are supposed to happen for Christians. Paul says for believers in Jesus, these things are happening. So, help me out. Since you started following Jesus, are you less arrogant than you were? Are you less puffed up or can we say deflated? Do you see race differently because of Jesus? Because if you do not see race differently because of Jesus, you do not see Jesus. The true people of God are united by this because we're marked by the Spirit. Four through eight, they give us two things that Paul directs with. He says, do not delude. Don't let them delude you. Don't let them take you captive. The original language, it's the imagery that Paul gives and the language that he uses is do not set the message of Jesus side by side as equal to other philosophies. Because the message of Jesus is unique. And here's how that's unique. Every other religion in the world says this to us. You do this and you do this and make sure you do this. And if you'll do this, whoever this God happens to be, he'll love you. And Jesus says, your doing is kind of dumb outside of me. 
sitting side by side looking for something that is authentic versus something that is inauthentic or generic or as the kids say bootleg imagine I have Oreos up here with me because I'm imagining that right now and we have Oreos let's just go double stuff because they're better and I've got double stuff Oreos right here where my Bible is and on this side I've got great value cookies and then I've got the Aldi, ver- Aldi version that are called Eero E's One of these is genuine. And the other two, try as they might, are not. Do not let them delude you. Do not let them take you captive. Don't let the words that they say and the things that you hear from them cause you to lose sight of this. That we are people who are to hold fast to Jesus. The world (coughs) that Paul lived in, they dealt with something called Gnosticism. So I'm going to give you 101 about what Gnosticism is. Some of you know what this is better than I do. Feel free to share that with your life group. Gnosticism, which Paul is dealing with here, is in its early stages. And it revolves around an inward focus on one's spiritual life with no impact on your daily life. Therefore, it involves additions to the original truth of Jesus, which are therefore inauthentic. And one more time for those in the back. Gnosticism, which Paul dealing with, what we see Paul dealing with here, it revolves around an inward focus on one's spiritual life with no impact whatsoever on your daily life. It involves additions to the original truth of Jesus, therefore proving to be inauthentic. So, in 2018, do we have Gnostic teachings that are infiltrating churches? Well, if you have churches telling you that you have to sing a certain type of way with certain styles of instruments, that is Gnostic heresy. Because it's saying that there is something else that you need other than Jesus. If there are those who would tell you that you have to dress a certain way. For instance, if I were to tell you that you have to come in here with untucked shirts every Sunday. That would be a Gnostic heresy. You have to go to church at a certain time or a certain number of times. That is a shade of Gnostic heresy. Look, there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as it does not contradict truth. The problem with most of our traditions is they become what we believe to be truth. And if they have become truth, that means that Jesus is not. When you make the saving work of God to include anything more than Jesus' actions on your behalf, You have Gnostic heresy. So what unites a church together? So if we're just looking at application, let's take this from, okay, Chad's talking about super spiritual things, to every day. What unites a church? Well, what unites a church is that we are a group of people, sinners saved by the glorious love of God, bound together. 
And there are certain things that move us forward that we would share in the idea of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we believe in the things that we sang about earlier. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What are other things that unite us as a church? Well, practical ways for us to be united as a church include how we look at the time that we spend in our life groups. How we look at what takes place with what happens here. I've always been bewildered, and maybe because I'm a preacher, but I don't think so. Most churches gather together and they they hear someone talk from this, and they never have a conversation about it beyond shaking the pastor's hand as they walk out the door, and sometimes rolling their eyes when they get on the other side. So we've pushed our life groups in a very unique direction. And you've noticed transitions in these life groups. If you are in a life group, we encourage you strongly, forcefully, to meet weekly. And we are encouraging all of us as a church to be having the same or similar conversations. Now where the application floats differently is the the group of people who are in this life group we'll call wing A are different than the group of people in this life group. Because your lives are different. But we believe, I, I, I truly believe that if we're going to be serious about what God teaches us as a church then we should be having conversations about it. Because what happens with churches when they are separate? And look, there are churches that are doing amazing things all over the world. But if you notice, whatever you call that life group, Sunday school class, Bible study, whatever, if we are not careful, those can become silos in and unto themselves. Therefore, they have become churches in and unto themselves if they have no connection to the rest of the body. Knit together in love means that we are knit together in the truth that God has lovingly given us. So we hold fast to what God teaches us. What if I don't like that, Chad? I got a club we're starting for you. We are bound together processing what God teaches us together so we hold fast together therefore verse 6 as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord walk (coughs) in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So let's do a little word work right here. Rooted, that's a natural term. We've talked about that when we were in the book of Revelation. We know how roots work. Growth comes through roots. Grounded, built up, is foundational term. It's, it's a structural concept. The additional word that Paul uses here that John does not use and that Paul does not use when he talks in Ephesians about this is the idea of walking together. It's the idea of forward progress, moving forward. People love to talk about bicycles and one of the things we love to say about them is this. 
if you are doing something that you've never done before or rather if you're doing something that you've done before but it's been a long time you say it's just like riding a bicycle if you've ever said that could you wave at me right now it's just like riding a bicycle the problem with that is bicycles I got one someone gave it to me and I decided to ride it with the boys the boys are going to ride their bicycles as small children who are super duper healthy and I'm going to ride my bicycle and pray that the sovereign lord of the universe will get me home And as I'm riding on this bicycle, everything's going okay. But I did feel a little woobly with it underneath me because I've not done this in a long time. Anyone ever done this? You picked up the bicycle after a long time and thought, I I may die on this. (laughs) Everything was fine. Moving forward. Wheels rolling together. Moving forward. We roll into the house because we hear that there's something for us to go do that night. And as I'm rolling in, the bicycle's slowing down because I've pumped the brakes yet again. And I begin trying to make the, the, the curb by my house. But I'm not moving forward. So what happens next is because there's no movement. I fall over and I land on my really old knee. And I land on my hands because I was moving forward. wasn't moving forward. There was a fall. the reason I fell. This by what God teaches us here as a body is we want to be moving together, striving together, so that we don't see people fall off. Live in a way that is consistent of when you first came to Jesus is what Paul would say. Because we need the grace of Jesus just as much today as we did when we became his. John even echoes this. So it's not just Paul in, in an echo chamber. Paul, John says in 1 John, Whoever says he abides in him should walk as Jesus did. See to it that no one, verse 8, takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, still holding fast to Jesus. See to it that those things don't happen for you. What he's saying is that we as believers turn to Jesus completely for our spiritual well-being. There is nowhere to go for forgiveness other than Jesus. There is nowhere to find salvation other than Jesus. There is no one to pray to other than Jesus. Jesus is at the heart of what we believe. But what about people who say they like Jesus? I have a problem with people who claim to just like Jesus. And the reason for that is Jesus doesn't seem to be into it. Jesus says hard things to people about a relationship with him. He feeds 20,000 people, as I've said before, 10 10 minutes later. He says, I need you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all hit the road. Jesus, when we look at him and see him, we find you can't just like him. Because based upon what Jesus says about himself, you either worship him or you're appalled by him. So you can't just like Jesus. You're in or you're out. It's like Big Red. You either love that stuff or you realize it's grotesque. 
We hold fast to Jesus because we need Jesus. You don't ever stop needing Jesus. Our church needs Jesus. We hold fast because we are held firm. Look at me in verses 9 through 12. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So we got to do some work. I just can't wrap up at the circumcision verses. When you look at the world that Paul lived in, there were those who of Jewish heritage who were watching as Gentiles like us were becoming part of the Christian faith. And there were some leaders among these Jewish people who were saying to the Gentile believers, Hey, I'm glad that you're here. No more sausage for you. You have to eat kosher now. But even more important than that, you have to be circumcised because that's what good Jewish people do. So, Paul is hearing from everywhere. This is being told to new Christians. And Paul stands up and rants and raves. Now, there's no problem. Old Testament circumcision is throughout it. It's God's historical mark. But a big debate in the first century is this. Some Jews believe you have to do this to new believers. And Paul's against the idea... And the reason that Paul's against the idea is that he sees from God that this is no longer an external mark. It's an internal one. You don't need to have this happen outwardly because God has pierced you inwardly. God has made you his own. There's no longer external identity based upon markers about our, on our bodies. We now see that we are defined by this, that in Jesus we are his and he is ours. All the benefit of his life and death now flow through us. Your sins are dead because they died with Jesus. And if anything is taken from me, I get to stand in this truth because God has extended mercy to me. This language that we use when we baptize people. We baptized one of our girls two weeks ago that we are buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in a new kind of life. So if you're here and your background is not uh, what we call uh, baptistic in the sense of we do believer's baptism here. And the reason that we do believer's baptism is pretty clear we read through passages like this and we see that we are making a public statement 
a symbolic declaration that we have been buried with God, with Christ in his baptism. Our sins have been buried with him and we're raised to walk in a new kind of life. You look at that alongside of what we see in the Gospels about the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized and from that point his public mission begins. So for you as a believer, if you are baptized as a believer... Your sins are dead. You are raised to walk on public mission for the sake of the fame of Jesus. We are held fast. Or we are held firm. We hold fast to who holds us firm. Because we see that we're His forever. Verses 13 through 15. This is so important. 13 through 15. We'll get another sermon next Sunday. Don't forget this. You, 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 all of us, just be clear, you. Say me. Everyone say me. Good. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. This is a struggle verse for lots of Christians. Especially for Christians who've done dumb stuff. And not just in the dumb stuff in the universal sense of all of us do dumb stuff. But if you believe that your sins are worse than someone else's. If you believe you've done something that would cause God to have this notebook that he goes to every time you mess up to add to your dumb sin. The message of Jesus to us is this. In Christ Jesus, when you have a relationship with with Him, all of your trespasses have been forgiven. And there may still be earthly consequences that you have to deal with, but when God looks at you, like I know how we pray. We start praying about things that are today. What's in front of us? I need to pray about this. Make sure I pray about this. I definitely need to pray about this. But when we start doing the work of praying, there's this hidden thing in our heart. We can't get over the fact that we yelled at our kid too loud. So that comes up in our souls when we pray. God, I know I'm supposed to be praying about this and this and this, but my God, I can't believe I did that. Or maybe it's adultery. God, I'm praying about this and this and this. I know you forgive me, but but I know what I did there. Can you just not deal with that? God, I know I did this. I, I can't believe I did this. And we start asking God to forgive us for things that he's already forgiven us for. And here's the message of God from throughout scriptures. When did you yell at your kid? What adultery? I I forgot you acted like a clown yesterday. Wait, you were a racist? You were a sexist. You you talk rough to your wife. 
I've forgiven that. Because I'm the only one who can. But we got to let Jesus unpack Jesus because when he meets with a woman in John 8, I'm not holding your sins against you, girl. That's a paraphrase. But go and sin no more. We're still trying to get over the sins that God's already gotten over. That's religion. And that what, that's not what Jesus is shelling. We deserve death and the record of our debt has been canceled. It's like you getting in the mail where you're supposed to make a payment on your house and it says, don't worry about it. It's done. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul's talking to Roman, like Roman language to people. So the, they know, the Jewish people who are there, the Christians who are there, that Rome, they're pretty hardcore. You don't take over the world if you're not kind of hardcore. And when they would go into a place, they, they would deal with whoever they were battling with. And you've seen some of this when you watch movies like Gladiator on TBS. Or that 300 movie with that forearm guy. No forearm people in the Bible, but go with me. Went to war. You overcome the enemy. And then what would happen is you would come back. Like you go through the town as the victor. And you make sure that everyone sees that the person you are battling with, they've been defeated. They're disarmed. They would drag the surviving king in. And they would bring his warriors and they would bring all the stuff that was taken in victory. And they would parade through the streets. They would publicly shame the one that they are at war with. To show that victory had been won. But this was not to invoke fear in the people, though that happened from time to time. I'm sure the goal of this was to enforce those that were before then loyal to this previous king that we're going to protect you, we're going to care for you because what your allegiance to, it's done. So Paul uses this language about Jesus, not about himself. And says, I've strolled into you. And I'm dragging Satan and hell and demons and tax collectors behind me. And you can see that every bit of this has been put to shame. You used to think this took care of you. I'm going to show you what real care looks like. Lean in. 
Because Jesus is the only one who can care for us. And you can't be bad enough for him to stop loving you because you were never good enough for him to start. That's the gospel. Every time we open the Bible, we're going to talk about that. Because it's at the center of it. That we have a king who stands as our champion who defeated all the demons in hell that we had locked ourselves and aligned ourselves with. And he's won. We celebrate that victory today when we take communion. Like if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, it's a cracker. So don't eat the cracker. But for those of us who have a relationship and faith in Jesus, this is a big deal for us because we're take, we take this in and we're symbolically remembering when we placed our faith in Jesus. We drink the blood, we drink the wine to remember, or it's grape juice, straight grape juice, my Baptist friends. We drink the juice to remember the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. My goodness, this matters. So I always have to be clear. Take this in your own space and on your own time. Don't wait for me to give you a a signal as to when you should eat your cracker or when you should drink your juice. If you're with us and you're a believer in Jesus, on your own pace, take this. Considering that this Jesus stands victoriously. And he has said to you, for whatever reason, I want you to stand with me. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you want to talk about what that means, that card we hand you, fill it out. But if you need like, to move to somebody right now, I'm going to be right over here. And I would love to open my Bible with you and show you this is what it means to follow Jesus. I'm over here. Just, nobody's ever took me up on it. But come on. We can talk about that. Because it matters. You've got to make yourself known to these people today. Because your word is strong. And I pray that we have heard it.